Welcome to the She Finds Joy podcast, where I teach you how to step into the arena of bigness, all the while creating more joy along the way. That's right. We are capable of reclaiming our power, our purpose, our boldness and bravery, and putting our bigness into the world. I'm Kim Strobel, your truth-telling, real-talk happiness coach, who believes in giving you the tools to create a life you really love. After all, when we're playing in our arenas of bigness, life gets better as we get bolder. So buckle up for the no BS, zero fluff advice that gives you the small steps for big joy. Today, I'm excited to welcome Monica Reinigal to the show. Monica is a licensed nutritionist and host of the Nutrition Diva podcast. Through her online workshops and coaching programs, she helps people make positive and lasting changes in their health, nutrition, and eating habits. Welcome to the show, Monica. I am so excited to be here with you today, Kim. I'm just going to tell you up front, Monica, I'm going to be a challenge for you because you, I, you're not going to know what to think when I, I can't wait to hear your advice and your tools because let me just tell you, nutrition is one of those things that I have forever struggled with. And I know a lot of the people listening to this just seems to be such a struggle for women. And so I just want you to know, I want to be really upfront with you. I, I think I'm going to be a challenge for you today, but maybe you've seen worse than Kim Strobel. Bring it on, Kim. <laughs> you know, I always joke when I go out to lunch with somebody who knows what I do, and, but we don't know each other very well. I feel like the first thing I need to do is just order French fries yes, so that everybody can just relax. Yes, I, I totally get that. Um, you know, when I'm just thinking like, yeah, look at me, I'm already justifying it, but I want to know, first of all, a little bit, I want you to take us back and kind of tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do and how you got to do what you do. Um, I know that you and I met in another program, which the gift of that program has been that we've been able to surround ourselves with other female entrepreneurs who are out there and wanting to have an impact on people's lives. But tell us a little bit about who you are and how you got to be a nutritionist and, you know, what you're about. Well, it was one of those long and crazy paths that no one could ever reproduce. I often um, get emails from young nutritionists or aspiring podcasters or health coaches, and they, and they want to know if I could mentor them so that I could help them do what I've done. And I always think, I'm not sure I could do it again, much less help you do it. But, you know, each person has to find their own path. But my path actually started in a completely different field of, of study. When I went to college the first time, I studied music. I was an opera singer and I graduated from college and, uh, and actually did that as my full-time profession for 10 years. So basically through my 20s and a little bit into my 30s, I was a professional opera singer which was tons of fun, but kind of a hard way to make a living. And, uh, and so nutrition was actually sort of a second act for me. I went back to school, back to graduate school, got a degree in nutrition, uh, and started to work mostly in publishing. I was writing and editing nutrition articles and books and, and magazines and magazine articles and, and that kind of thing, and a lot of online publishing. Right as blogging was kind of catching on. And so I started, I started a pretty big nutrition blog and then podcasting took over. And, uh, and I began to uh, 
produce the Nutrition Diva podcast, which has now been in weekly production for 12 years. I can't believe it's been that long. Yeah, you said 600 some episodes, right? Just about. I think we're at 580 or something wow. like that. So it's a lot. And I'll tell you, when I first started that podcast back in 2008, I thought, I'm going to run out of things to talk about. Yes. You know, I mean, after I tell everybody about fiber and vitamin C and calcium and we'll, we'll be done and there'll be nothing more to say, but I needn't have worried because uh, nutrition, is. there's always new studies coming out. And for every study, there's a lot of uh, confusion that, that surrounds it. People have so many questions about nutrition. There's also a lot of questionable information circulating. We have a lot of people out in the world giving nutrition advice that don't actually have training in nutrition, but they're celebrities or they have big Instagram followings or they're actresses or whatever they are. And so people, and they're, you know, beautiful and, and thin. So people feel like they must have yes. it figured out or they're, um, you know, uh, major, major league quarterbacks or, or something like that. Um, so there's also a lot of work to do just to kind of clear up some of the misunderstandings and the myths that grow up around nutrition. So yeah, here we are almost um, 600 episodes later and we haven't run out of th things to talk oh about yet. Oh my goodness. So I do have to back up though and ask, do you still like to sing? I do. And I still get an opportunity to sing professionally um, several times a year, some years more than others. This year, thanks to our pandemic, almost not at all because most live performance has been canceled. Yes. But I still do get to do it. Um, I, I want enough. you to send me a video link of you singing. You have to. I want to watch this. That's incredible. I would have you know, never just looked at you and thought that was your previous story. <laughs> well, that was where, that was sort of the inside joke for the name of the podcast, Nutrition Diva, because I was bringing kind of my diva background, but. I love that. And so like, why did you feel, first of all, are you just one of these people that has always had really good eating habits and really been always interested in feeding the body right? Is that just part of who you are or what led you to this? Well, I think that singers are always interested in in anything they can do to keep their bodies healthy because our bodies are are our instruments. Um, and so I certainly tried to eat healthy, but I didn't know much about it. I knew, you know, what everybody knows from reading magazines and talking to girlfriends, which is not very much. So I was interested in it, but I wasn't terribly well educated about it. Um, and that is why I decided that I really wanted to do this from a place of of credibility and authority and decided not to be a self-taught nutrition guru, but to actually go back to school, which was so much fun. Anybody who gets a chance to go back to school in midlife, it is such a revelation because when we go to school, the first time if we go to school in our late teens and 20s, we're in such a different place. And yeah. I enjoyed going back to school so much, really enjoyed my studies, loved learning about the science of, of food and nutrition um, and loved to communicate about that. I guess at heart, I'm still kind of a performer. I think that's why I've been drawn to podcasting and public speaking, because even though my topic is now nutrition, I still want to get out there and communicate it and share it yes. with people. Yes. And that's where I feel most comfortable. But I will tell you, when you mentioned eating habits, that the longer I've done this, the more I've realized that there people do really struggle with their eating habits, and that very little of this has to do with what they do or don't know about nutrition. It really has to do with behavior change. 
that is what is so difficult. People kind of know what they should be doing or, or they have some ideas. The problem is they find themselves unable to consistently do it. Yes. And yes. that I've gotten more and more interested in that over the years. And as I've started to coach people on eating habits and on weight loss, realizing like, oh, where this really gets interesting is in the science of behavior change. And that's yes, and what why I'm, is it so hard? But I think I have some answers for why I think it's so hard, but I can't wait to pick your brain on that. Why do you think it's so hard? Well, okay, so I'm going to give you two versions of Kim Strobel because I, believe it or not, have made major headway in my eating habits in the last couple of years. And so um, I used to have like a really fixed mindset around my ability to eat healthy because all of my girlfriends have been really, you know, like reducing sugar or watching carbs or, you know, like they've been doing this for years. And every single time I would try to adopt some type of healthy eating habits, I mean, I just failed over and over and over and over and over again. And I really just felt like I just didn't have the willpower. There's something missing in me that I don't have that everybody else seems to have. Um, and for years, I really did just feel like, it was my lack of willpower because, you know, up until maybe a couple of years ago, I would wake up in the morning and I don't know, I'd eat whatever I want, like a couple sausage biscuits or something like that. And then I would eat lunch, which could be anything from a sandwich to whatever. But then like, I'd always have like, you know, I have a pretty strong appetite. So I'd have like some chips and some Doritos. Um, and then I always have a craving for something sweet. So usually about three or four o'clock, I would go get like my Chips Ahoy cookies and my glass of milk. And I mean, I'm the type that probably would eat eight or 10 of those cookies. Um, and then I'd have whatever we had for supper. It could be a casserole or a pasta or, you know, whatever, not a ton of vegetables. Um, and then around 10 o'clock every night. Okay. Are you ready for this? Um, okay. Around 10 o'clock every night, I would eat four Hostess cupcakes and a glass of milk. Wow. Yeah. Now, I also know that you're a very dedicated runner. I know. Now. So tell me how that fits into, was that going on? Was it concurrent? Yes, it was concurrent. And really it's, I, I, I have felt a lot of shame because I feel like my body does amazing work for me, right? Like I train for marathons and my body runs all these miles every week. And that was like this struggle that I had inside of me is my body is so good to me. Why can't I feed my body? Well, mm -hmm. and, and it just, I just, I mean, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times I tried to, I'll call it the stupid add the care diet where you're going to do this for the next 21 days and cleanse your system of all this stuff. And by day four, I'm eating my French fries again or whatever. Right, because who wants to live like that? I know. Well, it sounds like you weren't experiencing a whole lot of negative consequences for your eating habits, except maybe just the, the guilt, like, oh, I'm getting away with something here. I know that what I'm eating is not right. And I'll put that in air quotes, but I seem to be doing okay. I mean, were you feeling any negative consequences? I, I have like, I, even as I sit in my body right now, I feel like for sure, if I could weigh about 10 or 15 pounds less then my body would definitely look better. I'm not going to say I have a terrible body because I exercise it like crazy, but you know, there's definitely some layers of fat that need to. So, so I guess I always 
thought, yeah, there's probably 10 or 15 pounds I could shave off. But you're right. Like, I don't, I don't, I, I, I'm, I'm, I've always been, um, and I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed to admit this, but I have always been afraid of weight gain. That's mm-hmm. a real fear of mine. But again, why haven't I been able to change the behavior? Mm-hmm. And so, so I'm going to ask you to talk about that, but then I am going to let you know that I have changed my habits in the last two years. Um, so I don't have the hostess cupcakes anymore at night. Um, I do have two dove chocolates after lunch and maybe four dark dove chocolates after dinner. But Monday through Thursday, I don't allow myself to have any more sweets than that. But then what I do is Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, I'm back to baking all my cookies and eating the cakes. And I go like on a frenzy for two or three days. But I still say that's better than where I was a couple of years ago. Sure. I think so, any step in the right direction is a, is a step worth taking. And I think that what you're describing is so typical that people have this um, longstanding um, discontent or, or feeling like they, they need to be doing something different. And they have these little spurts of where they try to fix it and they'll, they'll try to fix it and it won't work. And then they'll go back into a state of just feeling like it's not what it should be, but not energized enough to try to do something until they get so dissatisfied that another spurt happens. Yes. That's what's happening for all of so many. Of I us. know it is what's happening for, for so many people. And I think what happens is we try to change too much we try to go from our current state into this idealized idea of what the perfect diet is from one day to the next. And, and it's just unsustainable for us. So the, the efforts that we make are too dramatic and they're too extreme. And they're, they're, more, they're more extreme than they actually need to be. We think we have this really kind of black and white thinking that we're either on the, on the wagon or we are lying in the ditch somewhere, you know, there's kind of nothing in between. So part of what we need to do is let go of that black and white thinking and that either on again, off again, and embrace sort of a a program of, of continual improvement and, and that incremental changes that we can make. Anything that you don't feel like you could do for the rest of your life is barely worth doing at all because the minute you stop doing it, whatever it's accomplished for you is going to, is going to revert to its, to its previous. Yeah. So, you know, the, the, the diet, what was it? The Advocare? I think that's one of them we were on. Yeah. The 21 Advocare diet or something. Yeah, I never understand why people would want to do something for 21 days that they're not or 30 day sugar detox or the, you know, where you give up everything for 30 days and, and yeah. see people on social media, just suffering through this. I and, then I think, and then what, what have you accomplished? Have you learned a new way of living? Absolutely not. Have you learned any new eating habits or any new thoughts or beliefs or attitudes about food or about your body or about your choices? No, you just kind of suffered through this kind of boot camp and you can't wait for it to be over. So I think, you know, but that's how we've been trained to approach uh, weight loss for sure, you know, is that we have to do this kind of really strict dieting approach. And it's so counterproductive. I think it does more damage. In fact, physiologically, 
losing that 10 or 15 pounds and then regaining it is harder on your body than not losing it at all. You know what? So, you know, I'm a happiness coach and the happiness research, I, I read this and it was a chart and it actually showed that. Um, so it took like, I can't remember if it was three, three groups um, of people who had been on one of these like 12 week diets and it monitored their weight gain and their happiness levels, like at the six month mark and one year mark and even three year mark. And what was so interesting is the people who like maintained their weight loss three years later because they stayed on this super restrictive diet, um, they were the most unhappy. Mm. Even though they had lost the weight and maintained it, they were the most unhappy because they deprived themselves of so much pleasure in their lives. Well, you know, I mentioned before that that we do a, a weight loss coaching program. That's yeah. uh, it's actually helping people figure out how to weigh less without dieting. And in that program, we say that that your ideal weight actually has three things. Most people have a number in their mind, just a goal, a number. When I reach that weight, I'll have hit my goal. And for us, your goal weight, your ideal weight actually has three different metrics. One is that your body's at a weight that's healthy for you, that you're not at any increased risk of disease because of your body weight. But that's only one of them. The second one is you have to feel happy with the way your body looks, feels, and functions. You have to feel good in your body. You have to feel good about the way it looks. And you have to be able to do the things that you want to do. And sometimes that's not about changing the number on the scale. But the third thing that is required, so we want you at no increased risk, health risk. We want you to be happy with the way your body looks, feels, and functions. But then there's a third criteria, and that is you have to be content with the habits and the lifestyle required to keep you there. Oh my. So if you can get yourself to a certain weight and you're happy with the way you look and you're happy with the way your body is functioning, but you're miserable with what it takes for you to stay there, we're not done yet. We have to fix all three of those factors to, to lock you into something that feels sustainable, that's self-sustaining. And I think too often we don't pay enough attention. That is so those other powerful. Okay. So I, I, I mean, I need you to repeat that, that third thing again, because I mean, that's like a tweetable moment, like an Oprah tweetable moment. So, so just one more time, I want you to repeat that for my audience. Sure. So we want you to have no increased health risks. That's number one. Number two, to be happy with the way your body looks, feels, and functions. But number three, to be content with the lifestyle and the habits that it takes to keep you there. You have that's to love where we go life. wrong. That's you have where we to go love wrong. your life. Yeah. Yes. And, so and your body. <laughs> I think, okay, yeah. Because when you're thinking about those things, I think like I hit number one for sure. Like I don't have an increased risk of anything because you know, I'm not severely overweight or mm -hmm. anything like that. But then um, I'm really happy with the way my body functions. So I can go out and do anything that I want to, but I'm not totally happy with the way that it looks. Um, not miserably unhappy, but a little, the, the stomach area bothers me, so to speak. And then, um, and then I do have the third one because I'm, I'm not really totally living some kind of restricted diet. Sure. So my part on that would be to work on, I mean, how, how do I work on trying to get my body to like the way it looks? Well, you can, you can work on that two different ways. You can work on changing how your body looks and you can work on changing how you look at your 
body. And sometimes those can happen in concert. And when you are at a healthy weight, but you still have little areas that you feel like you'd like to look more like what we see in the media, you know, um, that can be a matter not of changing your body weight, but changing your body composition. I think women, especially because we're so focused on weight loss, we tend to prioritize types of exercise that help us burn more calories. And another really key element of the program that I coach is uncoupling this idea of exercise as being something that we do to burn calories. Exercise has so many benefits, but that's not the primary reason to exercise. And seeing exercise as a way to undo food is such an, it robs you of the pleasure of exercise and it really sets you up for a vicious cycle in which you feel like in order to eat more, you have to exercise more. If you have eaten more, then you've got to burn it off. So we really try to tease those two apart. But because women often are really focused on exercise that will burn calories for them so that they can eat more cupcakes or whatever, we sometimes um, don't spend enough time strengthening our bodies. And that includes our muscles and our bones. And so people look at that kind of exercise and think, I'm not going to waste half an hour on exercise that only burns 60 calories, according to my Fitbit. That is a waste of exercise. (laughs) um, But of course, those are the kinds of exercise that can really change the shape and the firmness and the look of your body. And I have to just give credit where credit is due. I have a a partner in the Way Less program that I work with who is a fitness and exercise expert, who's a certified coach. So he brings the fitness part of it. He's also a professional, uh, former professional ballet dancer. So we each have these weird, you know, arts careers in our backgrounds, but now he is a fitness coach and ex- and trainer. And he brings that into the program. So this is kind of his area of expertise, but there are so many more dimensions to this than we often get when we're just trying to lose 10 pounds in four weeks or 60 pounds right. in three months or whatever it is, which is almost always the wrong way to go about it. But if, if you'll indulge me, I wanted to circle back to something when you were kind of reporting your eating habits. And, and embedded in your comments shows me that you knew exactly what, there was no confusion in your mind about the nutritional facts. You mentioned really don't eat that many vegetables, suggesting you were aware of the fact that eating more vegetables would benefit you. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the sugar. You mentioned chips and Doritos, suggesting to me that you're aware of the fact that those are probably not the healthiest. And my point here is just that you knew what it was about your diet that wasn't maybe serving you as well as it could. And you even knew what it might look like instead. You just weren't able to make those changes on a consistent basis. Or maybe I'm putting words into your No, you're right. But that's the whole problem. Like, I feel like a lot of us know, Mm -hmm. but the knowledge is not enough to get us to change the behavior. That's right. And that is why after 12 years of producing the Nutrition Diva podcast, which continues, I still love doing it. I'm fascinated with the science of nutrition and I love food and I love the intersection of food and nutrition and how all of that works, how we grow it, how we cook it, all of that. And I've been doing that now for 12 years. But after all of that time, I, uh, my partner in the Way Less program, Brock Armstrong, who is the fitness coach and ballet dancer, and I just launched a brand new podcast because we wanted a place. He's got a podcast of his own um, in which he talks about the science of fitness and exercise called the Get Fit Guy. So we've kind of got that covered. But we are both so fascinated in what you just said. How is it 
that we actually motivate ourselves to change our behavior in the ways that we know will benefit us. Why is that so difficult? What gets in our way? And this is what we do all day long in our coaching program. And that is the topic of this new podcast. It's called Change Academy. And it's literally brand new. Change Academy. Change Academy. And it's all about the science of behavior change. It's answering this question that you're asking. Yes. Why is it when I know what would benefit me, why don't I make those changes? Or actually, even better, what would I need to put into place to make those changes possible? And I'm so excited to be doing this work now because I've been aware for a long time that a lack of information about nutrition was not the main barrier here. (laughs) And a lack of information about exercise, you can learn anything, you know, the facts are available. And behavior change is much more of an inside job. We need to take some time to understand what we, what our thoughts are, what our beliefs, what, what is driving our choices and our behaviors. Um, and sometimes those are internal things like our thoughts and beliefs. And a lot of times it's outside things, our environment, uh, cues and triggers, habits that we've developed over the years exert such a powerful force on us. And then we need systems to, to help us identify, okay, what would benefit me? How do I put it into place? I mean, there's a whole methodology of behavior change that we've developed working with people specifically on sustainable weight loss. And we realized this could be applied to any change you wanted to make. You're right. Your it, it is. You're, you're at the heart of it, which is really, that is, you're right. It's the behavior change that we can't seem to make happen. And so, I know that you and I are not going to solve my problem on this particular podcast, but I will be going to the Change Academy to see what you offer there. And then we'll, I want you to talk a little bit at the end about your program. But so, but that being said, Monica, like what is one person or what's one little thing that I could do that would maybe help me to start making a teeny tiny change? I think one thing you can do is look around your, first of all, you'd have to identify one teeny tiny change that you think would benefit. So let's just pick something right now. Should we think about vegetables? Well, I will tell you, I've been doing better with vegetables. So I, you, you're going to be, I, I also didn't have any vegetables, but now I do a green smoothie in the morning mm-hmm. and we do vegetables at night. And right. I, okay. So here's the deal. Five years ago, I had a goal to eat one piece of fruit per month. And I know you, I know, I see your eyes. Um, I was, I know I was actually a curriculum director and we had like a health coach who worked with us and all the teachers and we had to make these goals. And like, I don't, I hadn't eaten a piece of fruit in a year. Because you were afraid of the sugar or what? I don't like, I didn't like fruit. Like, really? Most people don't know struggle with fruit. People often struggle with vegetables, but most people are are willing to eat fruit. But anyway, this was, and I love this goal because it was so small, one piece of fruit a month. That should be possible. Well, and she wanted me to do one a week and I was like, I can't start there. So anyway, I did one a month, but I want to tell you that five years later, I eat at least one navel orange every single night. That's awesome. I know. So, so I've made some improvements. I would say I'm doing better with vegetables and fruits. It's that whole sugar thing. Mm-hmm. You know, like, um, like what's the even goal with sugar? Like is the goal not to ever eat another piece of pie or. 
Oh God, I hope not. Right. If that's the goal, I'm out. But um, no, I mean, from a purely health perspective, the goal, the, the stated, the, the benchmark is to try to limit your added sugar. And now we're so not putting on my nutrition hat, right? So added sugars, we're not talking about the sugars in fruit. We're not talking about the sugars that are in naturally in dairy products. We're just talking about added sweeteners. But we are talking about all of the added sweeteners, including honey and maple syrup and agave nectar and all these things that we think of as like healthier options to limit that to 25 grams per day. That's about 5% of your calories uh, for, for an average sized person. So basically without having to do a ton of like calculating and record keeping, it kind of comes down to one sweet treat or beverage per day, which is not bad, like one treat per day. I would say your little Dove chocolates probably add up to about that. Now, if there's a lot of added sugar in everything else on your breakfast cereal, in your yogurt, in your coffee, in your tea, in your margarita mix, that could definitely add up to a lot more than that. But if you're if you're able to reduce the added sugars in the other parts of your diet and eat foods that are not sweetened, then that buys you basically one treat, one substantial treat per day. So like one hostess cupcake. One hostess cupcake. Absolutely. Oh Guilt my God, this is, free. This is phenomenal. We don't know this. Guilt free. So, so yeah, so it's, it's doable, but I guess if uh, one thing you're right, we can't, we probably can't solve it all, but we can solve this. But one thing that you can do to make this so much easier for yourself is control your environment. I see so many people who are trying to reduce their intake of sugar or reduce their intake of potato chips or ice cream or whatever it is that they feel like they're overdoing. And they're surrounded with it all the time. And sometimes this requires some negotiation with the people that you share your refrigerator or your freezer, or your snack cupboard with, you know, to see what... How, the degree to which they are prepared to help you but or support you in this. But if you can control your environment, then you're not resting so hard on willpower. So when there are things that... So there are a few things that I cannot be trusted with. One is a box of wheat thins. <laughs> I love wheat thins, right? And another guilty pleasure, and my listeners know this about me, I love those little Swedish fish. I mean, like the junkiest candy in the world. Those I just discovered last week. My oh, niece told I'm me about sorry them, so to I hear that. Yeah. I love them. Um, and it's not like that's a super high-end candy, right? But I just, I love them. These are foods that don't come into my house. I enjoy them sometimes, but I don't bring them into my house because I know what will happen. And I can have much more willpower at the store than I can after 9 p.m. when they're in the cupboard calling to me. So one thing you can do is not bring foods into your environment, whether that's your desk drawer at work once we get to go back to work, or your cupboard at home, whatever, uh, so that they're there and available. That is just asking too much. For me anyway, willpower is a very exhaustible muscle. And we have to exercise a lot of it in a lot of different areas in our life. And we don't want to rely on willpower too much because that usually goes badly. So if we can look around our, our environment, uh, Brock and I call this hacking your habitat and figure out how can I actually take some of these temptations out of, if not out of the house, out of my sight line, out of my view. Right. I don't want to, every time I open the cupboard, see that giant 
family-sized, value-sized, four ounces free box of Wheat Thins because every single time I open that cupboard, I'm going to be so tempted to grab a handful because did I mention I love Wheat Thins? Yes. Uh, so, I do bring them into the house. house right I now, buy... You would just die. Like I have two bags of Doritos and I have Cheez-Its and I have potato chips and I have... Um, you know, an entire like candy drawer full of buckets of candy. <laughs> right. And, you know, and when we have lots of different kinds of things, it makes it possible to eat a lot more because variety stimulates your appetite. So if there are four or five different kinds of chips available to you, just even think of a party that you go to. If there's all kinds of different like crunchy, yeah. salty munchies, you're probably going to have a lot more than if there was just one kind as much, you know, an, an unlimited amount of it, but just one type, you're going to have more of it than if there's five different kinds of chips and snacks and, and things, because we could just get tired of eating the same thing over and over again. Yes. Same thing for us at home. So if you have four or five or six different options for your salty snacks, you're going to end up eating a lot more of them than you would if you just had one. Same for the candy. So you can decide, okay, this week or this shopping trip, going to get some Doritos. Right. Next shopping trip, our treat's going to be potato chips. The one after that, Cheez-Its. And that can help. But don't forget the other, the flip side of that is we can use this to our advantage because variety can stimulate our appetite for healthy foods too. So if your raw vegetable that you're trying to eat as your virtuous snack while you're, if all you got are baby carrots and celery, okay. You might gnaw on a few, but but imagine now you open your refrigerator and you see the little container and it's got grape tomatoes and carrots and cucumber discs and endive and cauliflower florets and sugar snap peas. And, you know, I could go on and on so and are on. Are you but eating those just raw though? Because like I can only force myself to eat those if I dip them in ranch or hummus. No. Oh, I definitely dip them in hummus or, or something okay. like that or guacamole. Okay. No, you can, you can do that. But my point is just, if you want to eat more raw vegetables, have more different kinds because that visually and the flavor and the texture will incite you and your family, try this sometimes, the red pepper strips, to eat far more than if you just had a giant plate of one thing. So you, you know, can use that variety trick to your advantage as well. What I love is you're actually giving us ways to hack our brain. Yes. Yes. There's a lot of behavioral economics in this. I I really love that. So you're, you're really helping us figure out that in order to change the behavior, there's all these little hacks we can do so that it doesn't like, we don't, we don't have to take everything out of our life. We can do these little hacks that actually make our brain respond differently to food. Mm -hmm. And then those little bitty changes start to add up over time, I guess. Well said. I like the way you said that. Interesting. Well, I mean, I mean, I could talk about this forever because I, I'm like the number one person that would need to join your program at some point for sure. <laughs> um, because like, I, I, I want to go here just a minute before we wrap this up. I know I'm trying to keep it to 30 minutes, but like, here's one other thing that I think that women are really worried about. And I'm worried about belly fat <laughs> because like everybody's like, oh, well, that belly fat just creeps on as you get older as a woman, mm -hmm. right? And then they say like, oh, wait till you hit your 40s, you know, or all this like 
I mean, and I'll be honest with you, Monica, when I look around, I do, I see like some of the skinniest people who were super skinny in their twenties and thirties, little teeny tiny people. And then all of a sudden they do have like this belly fat that's piling on and I see it on myself. What would you say to that? Is that true? Can, is, is it, is it that we're more likely to hold belly fat as we get older? And then if so, what can we do? Well, it is true that our hormone levels change as we age and, and that this does have an effect on how and where we store fat around our bodies. That's one of the things we don't have a lot of control over. Um, we can't really control the changes in our hormones as we age, but there's so much that we can control. And I think this is a case of not letting what we can't control keep us from doing what we can control. Part of it is that we have this expectation that as we get old, as we get older, we are going to get thicker and that we're going to, and so we accept this as sort of a foregone conclusion. And we, and we expect that we somehow expect that what we did in our twenties and thirties should also have the same effects when we do it in our forties and fifties. And the truth is we often have to change our strategies and, and, you know, we may have to do something different in order to get the same result because we're working with a much different physical plant. So there's some of this that has to do with our expectations and what we're willing to accept. We hear this reinforced to us so often that this is what happens when you get older. Yes. I'm so tired of women. Like I've had women for 10 years telling me that like making me scared to turn 40 because you know, I turned 40 15 years ago and you know, I have not had that, but I've, but I've had to work at it, you know, and um, because it was important to me, but also because I did not accept that that was, what was going to happen, that this is just how this goes. And of course, you can look around, as you already have done, and collect a lot of evidence and be like, well, it seems to be (laughs) that this is what happens. And so we can all talk ourselves into this as a society, right? Yes. Um, so, So it is true, unfortunately, that as we get older, our hormone levels change and we may be a little bit more disposed to to carry fat. And so we may have to be a little bit less permissive with, uh, uh, our indulgences, if we want to kind of hold the line there. Also, as we get older, it's very, very common for our alcohol consumption to creep up. Forget your college years. Okay. Like we'll just bracket that. But once you kind of enter your, your, uh, adult life, um, it's common for you to, without noticing somehow uh, as we go through our 40s and we're grown ups and we're adults and we come home from work. And now it's every night that we have a little something before dinner. And now it's not uncommon if you open a bottle of wine to finish the bottle of wine with your partner over dinner. And this is instead of being a once a week thing, it's a six night a week thing. And, and we don't even notice it happening. But alcohol is a frequent source of kind of hidden Mm-hmm. Uh, excess calories that people forget to yes. account for. And, and when I look at the timeline, I kind of feel like, hmm, that's kind of suspicious that that sort of happens at the same time. So there's one thing. And then the other thing to the other thing to keep in mind is what we were talking about before. And that is we are so focused on burning calories with exercise that we don't spend as much time building up our lean muscle and our bone density. And those are the kinds of things that can also help us fight belly fat and change our body composition. So it also goes back to having a little bit more balance in what we think of as exercise. Yeah. That's another topic at some point I would love to explore because in my head, I'm like, well, it's not enough to run 30 miles anymore. Now I'm going to have to run 40 miles because, you know. Yeah. You could chase that forever (laughs) into... (laughs) 
<laughs> right into into injury. And there, yeah, there's another, there are other ways to do that. But yeah. but yeah, I think we just need to decide that that's not going to be our story. And then we just have to get curious about, okay, if if that's not the, the result that I'm willing to accept, then what do I have to change in terms of my actions to create a different, to create the result that I want? And remember that we are in the driver's seat. Here. And that's it. And, and I want you to tell people, because I know there's going to be people who are listening to this and thinking like, I need help. I need a coach. So I would love for you to talk a little bit about how you can help people like Kim Strobel. Like what, what, how do you do this work or what's the program or what's it look like? Can you tell us a little bit about it? Sure. So the, the way less program is a year long program. It's a, it's a, Big commitment. And that is because we really feel like we need that much time to deprogram a lifetime's worth of dieters mindset and to put into place a new paradigm and, and new practices and habits and really support people as they discover this. We want it to take enough time that people have a chance to fail <laughs> and to, to lapse, to have setbacks because learning how to recover from that and use that as fuel for future growth and progress is a big part of the process. So this is not a quick fix. We're looking for people who are ready to invest in, in a, in a year long process of transformation and, and the support is a, is a big part of that. It's an amazing community, but we have lots of tools that people can use just to kind of get a sense of who we are and what we do and how they can put this into practice in their lives. And the easiest way probably to find all of that is to go to the website wayless.life. And on the website, uh, we have a very popular free program. It's a seven-day mindset reset. And it's a seven-day little video coaching series where we just work on some of the biggest parts of that dieter's mindset that we have to replace with what we call the way less mindset in order to kind of shake loose all of this conditioning. So you can sign up for the mindset reset at wayless.life. And we also have a really big juicy Facebook group of people that are kind of working on this together that you can join and just get some coaching from Brock and me on a daily basis. And then a couple of times a year when we do open up enrollment for the Wayless program, of course, you would know and you would have an opportunity to think about whether this is the time for you to do that. So That's I'd love great. to invite all the yeah. She Finds Joy listeners over to um, wayless.life. We'll drop all those links too in the um, show notes so that people can find those. And I love that. I love that just a seven-day little reset, a little free way that we can just start to kind of get our toes wet and see yeah. what this is about. Start to look at some of the thoughts and beliefs that are, that are, yeah. that have led to where we are now and what some of the alternatives can be. It's really, it's very fun work. And I also do hope that, um, that your folks will check out the Change Academy podcast. We know they're podcast listeners because they're listening to yeah. us right now. And this is really a labor of, of love and passion for me. I'm so excited about, um, putting this, work out. And, uh, and I'm excited about people joining us there. So the podcast is called the change Academy and you can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Well, I just, I can just see, cause I'm seeing you on video right now and you do just have such a heart for doing this work with people. And, um, and I just, I love that you're focused on the behavior piece, which I think is critical. So definitely I'll be checking out the Change Academy podcast. I think I'm going to sign up for the for sure for the seven day mindset reset and see what can come of that. Um, okay, so I always end this by asking this question. 
What is oh, one way? Prepare me for this. I prepare you for <laughs> it's this. It's a pop quiz. Yeah. What is one way that you, Monica, are reaching for more joy in your life right now? Oh, that's such a good question. And because it's such an interesting time right now, I right? Um, I think we're all, in a way, the things that bring me joy are more evident to me now than they were. And of course, we're recording this kind of a couple of months into the pandemic and the shutdown and all of that. And it's shown me just where I do find joy. And and mo- and a lot of it happens outdoors. I'm so glad that the, we're in a nicer part of the year so that I can be outside uh, and uh, and connecting with nature. And also just the connections that I have found about the opposite of outside, and that is online, that have not at all been compromised by the situation that we've gone through and the fact that it's been possible to stay in touch with my friends like you, Kim, my my entrepreneur colleagues, my family, our clients. I'm so, you know, happy that this has not, yeah. uh, you know, affected our ability to, to reach the people that we work with and to serve them and to be there for them through this. So, yeah, you're able to still maintain that sense of connection, which does bring a lot of joy. I'm sure. Yeah. It turns out that going out to eat for dinner, uh, three nights a week was not, taking that out of my life has not been a big deal. (laughs) You know what? That's one of the biggest ahas that we've had at the struggle household because we eat out a ton and we, we too are finding that we really kind of enjoy this eating at home and it's been really rewarding and kind of an aha for us. So I love that. I love that. It was a tough transition that first couple of weeks. I was like, I cannot (laughs) believe I have to make dinner again tonight. (laughs) But you know, now uh, that we've kind of transitioned over into it, yeah, we're really enjoying it too. And aren't you saving a lot of money? Yes, we are. (laughs) We are. We are. Yes. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. I just... Gosh, I know there's so many different ways that we could have taken this conversation, but I, you know, if I were to describe this, I feel like what you teach is so practical and that's what I love about it. It seems so practical and not just all this crazy stuff that we have to do. So I just really want to honor that part of you that showed up today and, and thank you for being here for my listeners. It was such a joy, Kim. We did it. Thank you so much for listening in on the She Finds Joy podcast today. I'm honored to share this space with you and I hope you keep showing up as the real you in this world. As always, this conversation will be continued in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to kimstrobel.com forward slash she finds joy to connect with other joy seekers just like you.